If you're drafting best balls right now, right now you've got slow drafts going, you're scrolling through the lobbies for that live draft, you're certainly going through using principles, guidelines, maybe some myths you've picked up along the way through your best ball journeys. Tonight, guys, tonight we go deep, deep into best ball ADP. We've got ADP specialist Sam Sherman from the ADP Chasers, from our buddies over there at Chip Chasers. Guys, we got a big one tonight. Let's get right into it. Go District. <laughs> bleep a ball. Bleep a ball. Bleep a ball. Bleep, bleep ball. And I bleep a ball. Bleep. A ball, it's the coach, a ball, cause I bleed, 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 hey, bleeding a ball, defeated the ice, didn't see him at all, JD in the pies, I needed it all, I bleeded a lie, you bleeded a lie, not bleeded a lie, and that's what a goat do, facts, let me show you, happen to know, dudes draft and they don't do bad and they don't lose, make you wanna bleed, 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 it's the GOAT district boys giving you the business and no gimmicks the best ball drafts got me feeling like it's Christmas yeah. then it's Christmas all of a sudden and these riches came from nothing and I got this all from loving the district see I just drafted forget it I laugh at the critics yeah. they mad at the digits yeah. I clap back by listening yeah. see balling ain't a problem if you kick it with them off and I refresh the feet till autumn then I bleep 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 go What is up, Fantasyland? We're back, back-to-back -back nights. Last night, we had a monster show with the beast himself. The Podfather was in the house, Dan. We had a huge announcement, huge show. Check it out. We talked 2023 rookie class. Matt had his flag planting going on, some guys that he likes in this year's class. And uh, last week was, Dan, you guys broke records with that Scott Connor show. You and Theo sat down with him, talked Dynasty, pivot trades. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of a little pivot trade myself right now with these rookie picks. Dan, how are you tonight and how pumped are you about tonight's guest? Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be fantastic. And uh, as you said last week, we had a, we had a great time with uh, Scott Connor and we, we really kind of hit Dynasty in a way that doesn't get hit too often, you know, talking about ways to pivot off of uh, your rookie picks if, you know, if you need to or want to. And uh, so that was, that was a fun topic. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely go out and check it and then tonight man we we have one of the guys i've been i've been just eating his stuff up on twitter um sam has been coming up with just all kinds of great stuff it makes a ton of sense to me and i was like man we got to share this with our listeners so uh without a doubt we want to we want to get into sam's head as quickly as we can and uh <laughs> and get moving on stuff but uh but sam tell us a little bit about yourself where where you're at these days where can we find your work um you know all, all the stuff our listeners need to know yeah for sure and and yeah before we get into that thanks uh to both of you for having me on um man that uh that intro to the show got me fired up i, lo I love that intro you guys have a great great mix of uh new school and old school players in there so that that was cool um but yeah but in terms of where you can find me um so this off season every friday i'm doing adp chasing which is on the ship chasing youtube channel uh, that's regularly with Pat Crane and Davis Maddock. And we're basically just going over market movement uh, in, in the best ball market. Right now, mostly focused on, on underdog, but we'll get into FFPC for sure later on in the offseason. 
Um, and yeah, we're just talking about player movement and whether you should be buying or selling players uh, at their updated prices. So for this week, for example, you know, we'll be talking about Izzy Abanacanda. He's been screaming up draft boards. Um, Odell's seen a bump um, in his price uh, off the, the signing in Baltimore, obviously. So yeah, that's mostly where you can find me, ADP chasing. And then also just uh, as you mentioned on Twitter, I'm doing a lot of deep dives into best ball theory and research and posting my findings there. So right now, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. We appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're going to get in there and just start unpacking all this stuff. And, and kind of the way I'd, I'd like to lead it off is, is, is you had a statement um, in one of your tweets, best ball tourneys are a weekly game. And I just love it. Can you, can you tell us a little bit how you came to that? Why is it true? What are the implications of that statement? Why are you, why are you approaching it as a weekly game? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like sort of a fundamental question before we get further into the research is to establish like why best ball is a weekly game and, and why thinking about that that way matters. I, I think, you know, one way to explain how it's a weekly game is just thinking about how these best ball tournament structures work. So to use underdog as an example, um, basically to, to win the tournament, right, you have to do four, th- four things. You know, you have to win your regular season league to advance to the first round of the playoffs. Then you have to win your first playoff round to advance to the next round of the playoffs. Then you need to win that round. And then finally you're in the finals. And if you look at the results you need in each of those weeks in the regular season, you just need to be in the top two out of 12 of your regular season pod. So if you do like do that division there, that's like a top 15th percentile score that you need to advance in the regular season. And then once you get to week 15, you need to come first out of 10 in that pod. So that's a top 10 percentile score. So it's getting harder, right? And then week 16 to win that, you have to be first out of 16. That's a top like five percentile score. And then finally, week 17, you know, 470 person field. Let's say your goal is to come in the top 10 of that to win some some real money in these tournaments. That's like a two percentile outcome. So, so my point is like, as the tournament cascades, you need sort of higher and higher percentile like scores, meaning like just, you know, you need to be churning out 170, you know, whatever, 180 point weeks. You know, obviously it depends on the week, but you, you need bigger and bigger scores in individual weeks in order to take down money in these tournaments and just to advance these tournaments. So that's how, how I like to think about best ball as a weekly game is that obviously your regular season score is important. You need that to advance. But at the end of the day, it comes down to are you building teams that have high weekly ceilings and, and can sort of repeat those weekly ceilings over and over and over again. So, um, yeah, that, that's sort of the the main argument there for why you know, you should think about it as a weekly game. And I'd also recommend people check out um, Pete Overson had a great video on, you know, why week 17 is so important and does sort of more rigorous calculation there. Um, he, he did that with Michael Dubner. So I'd recommend checking that out to sort of understand why we care so much about just the, the weekly element in best ball. One of the myths, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, right now you're kind of deep diving into underdog. We talk about the FFPC here, you know, full PPR leagues, half PPR leagues. What are the main differences between when a, when a player is approaching his roster build with these two different formats? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and frankly, um, like the next phase of my research that I haven't fully got into yet is, is really diving into that question. Like, hey, what are exactly like that analysis I did for half PPR? I kind of want to repeat it for full PPR and and see what kind of different conclusions I come to. But at a high level, I think like there's there's still a couple things that that I that I point out about the difference. Uh, number one, it's just kind of obvious, but wide receivers get a larger share of their points 
from receptions than do running backs. So, you know, when you switch from full PPR to half PPR, it just allows running back to catch up a lot. I think, you know, one illustrative example, uh, take Kenneth Walker and Amon Ra St. Brown last year. In full PPR scoring, Amon Ra is beating Kenneth Walker by more than three points per week on average throughout the whole season. Whereas in half PPR, they're they're more or less identical. I think Monroe is only ahead of them by like 0.7 points per week. So that's just kind of one example of like those middle tier, not quite middle tier, but you know, high second tier running backs and wide receivers just get pushed a lot closer together in half PPR. Um, and I think that's true not just of their averages, but of their ceiling weeks, like the you know 10 catch for 90 yards and a touchdown games for Monroe. Sure, that's still a great week in half PPR, but it's way more powerful in full PPR. Whereas like the 20 carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, but like no receptions from Kenneth Walker, that's actually really good in half PPR, whereas it might not be as powerful in in full PPR. So that's what I point out. And then um yeah, I think it's interesting in comparing FFPC and and underdog. The other point I want to make is that like I think it's a little counterintuitive how these markets work that you would think FFPC should be more wide receiver heavy because it's a PPR site and you think underdog should be more running back heavy because it's a half PPR site. But usually when you look at the ADPs, at least the past couple of years, it's, it's kind of been the opposite. Um, I think just because of the type of people that draft in the sites and what their preferred strategies are. So I think it's kind of an interesting like arbitrage opportunity. If you're, if you're drafting on both, like, maybe go more wide receiver heavy than you would normally in FFPC, go more running back heavy than you would normally in an underdog. And like, you can kind of be right either, either way. I'm not saying you have to play it that way, but I think that's, that's sort of an interesting arbitrage that you can do if you are playing across both uh, formats in your portfolio. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an interesting uh, point, especially with um, the FFPC, you know, part of the difference there is you get the double flex and you, you know, so you get people who are like, man, if I can find, you know, like four running backs to fill that flex and I get, I, if I can get four bell cow running backs to fill my two running back spots and my two flex spots, then I'm going to crush, you know, cause we've, we've seen, and, uh, you know, the big season long tournaments, um, you know, the main events and the, the football guys and all that, uh, you know, some, sometimes those winners are the ones who are able to just absolutely smash with those uh, running backs in their flex. Of course, the thing yep. is, and that, that's a managed tournament, managed league tournament rather than just best ball. Uh, you know, so it, I, I don't think on that site people necessarily catch the difference between in strategy between the best ball and the managed leagues as far as what they can do and, and um, how, how putting together the right kind of team works. So mm-hmm. um, what, what are some of the myths around the utility of wide receivers and running backs in the flex spots? Uh, like one, I know you've talked about is, you know, people think, oh, well, I've, you know, it, it's going to be my third running back and my third wide receiver competing for that flex spot, but that's not really true, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, I think, so, yeah, one of the myths that I outlined in, in my thread, um, and I can link the thread to the, to the show episode after the, after the show, but uh, you, you commonly hear that people say, hey, the flex is a fourth wide receiver position. And I think, Dan, what you're saying, they're, they're using that same logic, like, hey, you know, if you look at the wide receiver threes, they're doing better than the running back threes. And if you look at the wide receiver fours, they're scoring more than the running back fours. So therefore, right. flex should just be a wide receiver position. But, you know, you, you have to be really careful when you make that type of analysis. Like, you just got to look at the the starting roster spots. And 
due to the fact that you only need to start two running backs and three wide receivers on underdog, you actually have the wide receiver fours competing with the running back threes for the flex. So, yeah, I think um, that, you know, and it's not to say, and I'm not saying that running backs dominate the flex and underdog. I think it's quite close to 50, 50. Um, I've looked at it a couple different ways and it, it roughly shakes out as like in underdog, I would consider the flex something like, 45% wide receiver, 45% running back, and then the remainder 10% being tight end. That's kind of how I like to think about it. So, you know, you, you add that to the starting requirements, and that means you need three and a half wide receivers and you need two and a half running backs. So you still do need more wide receivers than running backs on underdog. And that explains, you know, you know, partially explains at least why, you know, the wide receiver heavy strategies can still work. You need more of them. It's good to have a good volume of guys who can put up spike weeks. Um, so my research isn't to dispute that, you know, wide receiver heavy builds can still, can still work. And I think they do work quite well in a lot of instances. It was more so just to say, Hey, um, I think people should be thinking about the flex more flexibly, uh, no pun intended. Um, you know, if you, especially this year, like consider, um, and I don't know how much you guys have been drafting underdog, but before they, uh, switch to super flex and they had the big board up. You could start drafts with the RB1, McCaffrey, by, by ADP, RB1, McCaffrey, RB6, Brees Hall, and then RB7, 8, 9, you know, pick your poison of Kenneth Walker, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, whoever you want to put in there in that um, tier. And historically, we've never really been able to draft RB, RB, RB with the RB1, the RB6, and the RB7, like, you know, historically, it's always 12 plus running backs going in the first two rounds. So like that, that's just an example of like being more flexible and how you think about the flex is saying, hey, now the draft landscape has changed completely. I can get my third running back in, in three rounds. That's actually, you know, a better bet than it has been historically just because of how the ADP is shaking out. And like that running back can score in the flex. And, you know, I'm not advocating that you should do this in 100 percent of your drafts. Frankly, I've probably done this in like I'm mostly grabbing two running backs in the first three rounds and throwing in a wide receiver. I'm not doing this a ton, but I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, think flexibly about how you construct your roster and, and also consider how much the ADP has changed year to year and how that might sort of inform, you know, how strategies that worked historically, you know, might, might work better now in a different draft landscape. Um, and yeah. Dan, we, we talked a bit about that. Actually, I know going into some drafts, you know, I kind of jokingly, saying uh, I'm kind of hammering these RBs early and that's why it's like the, the quality you're getting in the, especially in the two, two, three uh, rounds. I mean, to start with that and know how to build a roster through the rest of the rounds, depending on the format you're in and the flexibility that these tournaments now, especially the super flex tournaments offer you. I mean, those are, those are fun teams. When you look at, when you look back at then you see, you know, like these, these receive uh, running backs that Sam is talking about if we talk about uh, volatility, everybody's got a thought on which position is more volatile, is going to give you more, you know, spike weeks between running back receiver, which one is more versatile or volatile and how does this change with ADP? Is there a better time of the, the draft to, to focus on a specific position versus another? I know we kind of started touching on that, but maybe dive a little deeper into it. Yeah, for sure. So again, I want to be clear that, uh, this is all talking half PPR here. I, th I think my answers here probably uh, change if it's full PPR and, and when wanting to do the research there before I speak on that. But at least in half PPR, um, 
I did some research and defined volatility in terms of number of spike weeks over replacement. So you can roughly think of that as like a 25 plus point game for a running back or wide receiver that's generating like 15 points above the replacement level at each of those positions. Um, so if you define volatility in that way, I would say that running backs and wide receivers are actually quite equal at delivering spike weeks and half PPR. And I think if I was forced to say one is better than the other, I think running backs have a slight edge, though it's quite close. It's really interesting when you look at the last 10 years of data or if you just want to look at the last three years of data, um, it, it comes out it comes out really close across the positions. Now, to your question on ADP, I think that's that's the more interesting thing to look at in terms of um, what what tiers of positional ADP at the different positions look like relatively better bets for spike weeks. So um, I did some research where, you know, I, I sort of grouped running backs and wide receivers into RB1, RB2, RB3, meaning like one through 12 by preseason positional ADP would be RB1s, you know, wide receivers 13 through 26. Those would be wide receiver twos by preseason positional ADP. So I grouped them in that way. And I would say just like kind of going down the positional tiers. Um, I think if you compare RB ones to wide receiver ones, running backs, RB ones come out as a slightly better bet for spike weeks. I would say to wide receiver ones, but it's it's close. It's like close enough that I'm willing to say that like you know I have no issue with going wide receivers early. Like it, it's quite close, but I think RBs are slightly better in in the early rounds, or at least by RB ones. Then if you go to RB twos and threes versus wide receiver twos and threes, this is where you start to see sort of like the RB dead zone effect that people talk about where the wide receiver twos and threes do seem to outperform the running back twos and threes in terms of delivering spike weeks. Um, and then like the wide receiver fours and fives versus running backs fours and fives, it kind of flips back. Um, actually, the running back fours and fives sort of do a little bit better than the wide receiver fours and fives in terms of delivering spike weeks. And then what wide receiver six plus and running back six plus it actually flip flips back again where the wide receivers in later rounds you better than the running back so that was a lot like if i was to summarize it in sort of a way that's easier for people to understand i'd say that you know rounds one and two i think running backs are the slightly better bets for spike weeks rounds roughly three through eight i'd say the wide receivers are significantly better bets at least historically then rounds nine through 13, I would say running backs are the better bets. And then finally rounds 14 plus the wide receivers become the better bets. And again, so it's a little bit of this like ping pong effect where running backs are a little bit better early on than wide receivers take over and then running backs take back over. It's really interesting, but I think it kind of makes sense when you think about it, um, why that comes out to be true. And at least like kind of as intuitive of how I've done my draft strategy the past couple of years with you know getting some running backs early then then hammering wide receivers a lot in like the early mid rounds and then you know going back to running backs later for the you know Ramondre Tony Pollard like type type guys in the rounds 9 to 13 range so anyways uh I'll stop rambling but uh hope, hopefully that makes sense it wasn't wasn't too many numbers that I just threw out there but um, no, that, I, that's I, sort of how I'm thinking about it yeah I, I think it does and if you don't mind let's just let's real quickly chase this uh the rabbit here on win rates because I know that's something that you've kind of talked about that um, how how we're looking at these uh, tournaments through win rates isn't necessarily as applicable as what we think it is like just because there's just not enough data 
you know that Minnesota internet um they they still have a bit of they still have a bit of frost on their ethernet cables up there <laughs> it was 80 and sunny today here in new hampshire but i guess yeah. then oh, i mean i'm in shorts up here man and in, in north of the border it was like 27 today 28 um yeah. but so this, yeah i can speak on on this yeah go ahead go ahead point we'll a little bit back. yeah Sorry. there he is um, there he is oh yeah dan i think you froze for a second but um <laughs> I was just going to get get into like the, the win rate stuff. Like um, how I'm looking at these things is like a lot of the win rate data is biased by the fact that it looks like he's frozen again. It's biased by the fact that, you know, in these tournaments weeks 15 through 17 or sorry, even just like 15 and 16, if you're looking at finals advance rates have a crazy impact on the finals advance rates. Like you're kind of just looking at two weeks of data. Um, so, so my analysis, I looked at, you know, 172 weeks. So the last 10 years of fantasy football, um, looking at all 16 weeks and so not just zeroing in on, you know, weeks 15 and 16. And I just looked at, you know, what positions uh, get more, you know, get spike weeks defined as like a certain number of points over replacement. So I was really trying this whole point, like this whole research I was doing was really trying to expand the data set that we have and not just zeroing in on like one or two years of advanced rates and trying to, draw sweeping conclusions from that. Cause I think that is a bit of an edge of, you know, people want to look at the data and I think analyzing the past year's data is super important, but it's more descriptive than predictive. If you're just looking at one or two years of data, like you should look at it and acknowledge like, Oh, zero RB seemingly did great last year. Like that shows that it's a viable strategy and it was performed well last year. It doesn't mean that, you know, that's the optimal strategy going forward. Like we, we have to, sort of take a longer view with, with some of this stuff, in my opinion. Um, so that that's sort of the whole, and maybe I should have shared that up front, but that's sort of the whole um, point of the research I was trying to do is try to expand the data set and look at it in a sort of less biased way. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the things that definitely caught my eye about it because, you know, because of the fact that you are looking at, you know, just really a couple of years of worth of data and you're talking about, you know, a, a lot of people are just looking at week 15, 16, 17, you know, that's just not very much data, but really what happened in those weeks could have happened in any week and what happened in any other week could have happened, you know, in week 15. You know, if week week three and week 15 could have easily been switched, you know, yeah. and so anything that's applicable for week 15 should also be applicable for week three or vice versa. Uh, you know, which is, that's why I liked the way that you, you got around the lack of data just by, you know, being able to kind of manufacture more and say, hey, it's, you know, it's just random chance that these performances happened in week 15 or 16 or whatever. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. I'm totally, yeah, totally on board with that. Um, that's exactly how I was thinking of it. I think like, you know, people could push back on that point slightly and say like, there, there are some structural things. Like I know, I think Jack Miller at ETR has done research showing that rookie wide receivers, like their trend line of points over the season goes up. And, you know, I've heard people make the arguments for, handcuff running backs. I actually haven't seen that in data, but I kind of buy that like handcuff running backs maybe do better towards the end of the season than the beginning. So I think there are some things where it's like not completely random what happens at the end of the year. Like you, you can sort of predict some of that stuff, but I largely like it. I, I'm in your camp, Dan, where I think, you know, yeah, the fact that Cam Akers had 32 points in week 16 last year after doing nothing all year, like that, that was just randomness. Like we can't, we can't try to prescribe some kind of reason or rationale as to why that happened like a lot of this stuff is just completely noisy and random and that's why i think we need to expand expand the data set when we're doing this type of analysis 
yep, chasing, totally right? That's uh, that's definition ADP chasing, or, or I guess <laughs> I guess uh, yeah, recency bias uh, chasing. I guess that would be. <laughs> that's a new show coming out uh, next year. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, guys, if you're watching right now and you're not tuning in to watch Sam, I was literally telling Dan before we came on. Uh, Sam wasn't on, wasn't listening, but definitely a show that I try to tune into. These days, it's hard to keep up with all, even all your favorite, you know, uh, fantasy football content because everybody's pumping out so much good stuff. So you kind of want to get a feel uh, of everything out there. But Sam is definitely one that I try to tune in regularly. You're doing best balls right now. You want to be on top of ADP, and there's no better way than to to be following Sam and and what he's putting out content-wise. When you're choosing between receivers and running backs in the early rounds versus the mid rounds or the late rounds, what kind of factors are you taking into consideration apart from like what you've already kind of picked in your roster, if that makes sense? Got it. Um, So I'm saying like apart from like, you know, if I've already taken three running backs through seven rounds, like I'm probably. Or you know what? Just forget that last part. Just forget, forget the last part. Cause yeah, yeah. Include that. Include Include that. that, Now that you're repeating it, I I think that that needs to be included. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think that is kind of one of the first things I do look at when when I'm choosing between wide receiver and running back. And let's, let's skip the early rounds question for now. Say it's mid or late rounds. I do base a lot of the decision based on how much draft capital I've already allocated to the position. Um, So again, like to the flex thing that we talked through, I I sort of like to think of, you know, the flex as roughly 50, 50 running back wide receiver. So in my head, I'm thinking, Hey, I need three and a half starting wide receivers, two and a half starting running backs, at least in, you know, in underdog. And you could do a similar type of analysis for your other formats. Um, I kind of want to allocate draft capital proportionally across those positions. So if I've already taken two running backs in the first two rounds, unless I think it's like a huge screaming value at running back in, you know, the fifth or sixth round, I'm probably leaning wide receiver. Like I've, I've already kind of, you know, made, made my bet on the running backs early and I probably need to switch over to, to grabbing some more wide receivers to, to make that calculation work. But yeah, to, to your question, like I, I am, now I am with, with the current ADP landscape on on underdog, um, and I know FFPC is is a little bit different. I have been leaning towards getting the two running backs early, like two in the first three rounds. Like you mentioned, that that pocket um, in sort of the two three turn of Chubb, uh, Brees Hall, Jacobs, you know, Ramondre is a little bit later. Um, I know I'm forgetting some guys, but I basically love like all of those, all of those guys um, at their prices. Like, you know, if you're comparing them to the wide receivers that are there, like T Higgins, um, Devonta Smith, those guys are awesome players, but you know, those guys are both kind of capped upside in the sense that they have AJ Brown and Jamar Chase ahead of them. And like, it's hard for me to imagine without an injury to AJ Brown or Jamar Chase, one of those guys jumping into the top five wide receivers. Um, it, it's like harder for me to tell that story. Whereas like with Josh Jacobs, like we saw it last year with Nick Chubb, like we know he's an amazing talent at running back. He just hasn't got the volume. And now Kareem Hunt's gone. Like with Tony Pollard, you give him, you know, Zeke's share of the goal line carries last year, at least some amount of it. And he's right up there in the top five. Like uh, it's just like you're choosing between like the wide receiver 15 ish versus like the running backs, like six, seven and eight. And I think it's like, 
right now kind of an easy decision for me if that's what the 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 draft landscape is going to give me as the choice um so yeah not not sure i fully answered your question but that's that's like the biggest i would say you know the, the biggest takeaway of my research and how i'm like applying it to drafts right now is that two three turn of running backs um i'm i'm really i'm really hammering right now and i, I want to grab a like one elite wide receiver ideally for the through the first three but i really love getting two of those you know top top 10 running backs um at the current prices they're at i i love that sam because that's when dan asked was leading into his last question you talked about you mentioned something about kind of your own drafting and i was in the back of my head thinking i, I don't remember if we put it on the show sheet uh but I want to know, like, what's the number one thing that you're kind of applying in your drafts and you you just you just check that off. So very important uh, when you guys are drafting guys that the value at running back in those first three uh, rounds you want to be taking advantage of. Again, it doesn't mean you take three three running backs. Right. And it's, it's just take advantage of the value, especially when the, the last ones in the tiers are falling to you in the third. 100%. Yeah, that, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, are there any pockets um, other than the second and the third round with running backs? If we look at receiver, tight end, do you have any pockets that you're kind of focusing on based on the data? Uh, or so far, is it is it mostly kind of those early running backs? Yeah, I, I think the, the early running backs is like my biggest, um, I guess the, the take I feel most confident about, but... Um, I guess leading into the point that we just talked about, like, you know, how I draft early really implies what I do for, you know, really kind of tells me what I'm going to do in the mid rounds. If I take two running backs early, I'm, I'm often looking to, you know, go more wide receiver heavy in rounds three through eight. So I do think this year at wide receiver, um, you have the elite guys you have, you know, I, I, I call that Jefferson, Chase, Hill, Cup, Diggs, AJ Brown, Devante. I, I sort of make the cutoff at, at Devante. And then, you have like sort of the tier two guys of I'd put in this group, CD, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ra, Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave. And then I think after that, and I think people would disagree with me of, of where I'm drawing this tier, but I think like starting at Devonta Smith and T Higgins who, who are going sort of in the four or, you know, I guess third, third round um, of uh, one QB leagues through Guys like Terry McLaurin, um, Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin, even Marquise Brown that are going, you know, more in the seventh. I actually think wide receiver in round sort of three through seven is relatively flat, which is why I've been okay with taking, um, you know, a running back in round three a lot of the time. Because I feel like, you know, if I'm taking Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, um, you know, Keenan Allen even is going pretty late you know, Drake London, I feel like pretty similar about those guys than I do about like the pricier guys in that tier, like T Higgins and Devonta Smith. So I think a wide receiver right now, um, you know, and, and we see, I did see this in the data too, that like wide receiver threes are, are generally pretty good bet, meaning, you know, wide receiver 25 through 36 by ADP. Like I, there's still a lot of guys in there that, that I like. So I'm not too worried about, you know, going with two running backs early because I feel like I can I can make it up there at wide receiver. Um, so, yeah, on the wide receiver side and then on running back, I do. I have been taking um, a lot of the the rookie guys late. Um, I just feel like they're kind of lottery tickets at this point. But um, agreed, you know, mm-hmm. especially especially when you yeah. complement those early two or three running backs that you take. 
you don't necessarily need like the you know the then who's Latavius or you know the old guys right. you're you're or foremans you're you're basically yeah. grabbing the Charbonnets if they're falling the you know the the Gibbs to to kind of get that upside at the back end of your running back and you have a perfect sandwich there between your top three producers and then guys that'll fill in later on in the year if you need injuries so I love that data supports that yeah and in addition to the rookies like I'll throw out the, the other category of guys that I've been targeting a lot. Um, and I was, you know, it's changed a bit now because a lot of the the running backs have signed, but the free agent running backs before they sign were almost universally great values. Like Rashad Penny was going way too late. Damian Harris was going mm-hmm. way too late. Um, you know, and, and those guys probably hit like they're not landing spot. Like they, they lucked out in a sense, but I think no matter where they signed, they were going to go up in value and, you know, I've been applying to that to, still to the veterans out there now. Like uh, Fournette is, I know uh, Packer and talked about this, um, so he's with me there, which is always good to have the the two million man, two million dollar man on your side, <laughs> right? For, Fournette, <laughs> if if Packerine likes Fournette, he's historically hated Leonard Fournette like for years in fantasy, and he's in on Fournette. So I think like yeah, it's just the the free agent thing. People are scared. You know, they're like, oh, I don't know where he's gonna land. Like. But there's there's plenty of good landing spots out there for guys like Fournette, and I think you know you can make a similar argument for for Zeke or Cream Hunt, although they're they're a little bit more expensive, and I think like maybe a little bit more um, washed up than Fournette at this point. It's hard to say, but uh, that just that that group of free agent running backs pick them before they sign with the team, and it's like almost a guarantee they're going to increase in value. Very very few cases where they decline after they sign, um, at least this offseason. Right. And now now we've kind of almost hit point where some of them uh, might even lose value, you know, because they could get blown up by a rookie or something like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the it, it's really kind of shifted around. Um, and, and one thing I've been kind of getting out of the Sam is that you, you really don't get too unbalanced in your builds. Uh, you know, like if you get if you're pretty heavy on running back early, you know, you like uh, your, your first five rounds, you got three running backs, you're going to be just pounding the heck out of wide receiver. You're not going to, you know, like follow it up and try to try to do it just a five running back build and then just pound wide receiver for the last 10 rounds or whatever, right? Yeah, I think that's a good description of it. I, I do try to lean towards balance bills. I, I think in, you know, in managed leagues, the more sort of extreme strategies are more interesting because you have the waiver wire element. Like, uh, I'm more inclined to go like a more extreme version of, of zero RB or even like, if I was to do a more extreme version of heavy running back, like I think it makes more sense in, you know, FFPC, you know, with the two flexes and, you know, two, you can say, Hey, I'm going to just attack one position in the draft. And then I'm really going to prioritize the other one on waivers. And like, I think that's viable more so in, in manage, but man, in best ball, you really kind of got to get the balance, right. Especially when you think about like um, the playoff, weeks like you got to win like back to back to back tournaments kind of to take down one of these things so like you need multiple guys firing at each position like say you just i don't know you go you know all out at at running back and are pretty weak at wide receiver you only end up with six wide receivers like it's going to be tough to do the parlay of having all those wide receivers go off every single week of the playoffs like you know you need them, you need four of them or three or four of them to go off each week, like three or four weeks in a row. Just the math starts getting tricky if you really go sort of unbalanced in, in your builds. And again, like 
it's totally dependent on when you take them. If you know, if you started off with six wide receivers in a row, then sure, I, I get maybe ending with six. But um, generally, I do, I do go for the more balanced builds. And I, I think the other element of that is like within. I kind of like preserving like within draft flexibility when I can. So mm-hmm. you know, if I go running back, running back, running back, that the reason that I, I don't love doing that is because then if a huge running back value falls to me in like the seventh or eighth, like you're handcuffed. Yeah. Yep. Your hand. Yeah, exactly. So I don't like to like put those constraints and, you know, go into a draft saying like, I have to take six wide receivers in a row. And then I, you know, say Alec Pierce falls four rounds past ADP. Like it's like, I can't even take him because I've already allocated too much, you know, capital position or, you know, whatever, make up whatever example you want. But um, I, I do like preserving the, the within draft flexibility and, and generally staying, um, kind of balanced to give myself options to go in all sorts of directions, um, in the mid and late rounds. And that, I mean, Dan, we talk about it often, right? It's an art, right? The, yeah. the balancing of these rosters and, and it, it involves all of it, like the bye weeks the positions, the scarcity, the, you know, being top heavy at one position, deep at another, just the overall balance, it becomes an art building these rosters some guys are more you know kind of feel drafters some guys are more data drafters but at the end of the day everybody's trying to find the perfect balance especially when you're talking about these tournaments where specific weeks are more important than others winning every week is still important uh so there's a lot to balance there but it's that's you know the way you describe it is sam is exactly uh in line with kind of how we approach one thing that's interesting this year, and, and you talk about underdog, I know I do drafters up here because I'm, I'm still a little limited with my underdog drafting. I, I draft with Dan, but it's, you know, through through his account that we uh, <laughs> we do that drafting. Um, but the QB ones, like those studs, like the Josh Allens, the Mahomes, we're seeing these guys go, and, and Dan, we called this months ago, right? Like mm-hmm. second round, third round. I wouldn't be surprised by the time we get to August, you start seeing guys in the first round, depending on how stacked their 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 weapons get, you know, on their on their NFL teams. But how are you approaching the quarterback position in one QB leagues, and especially like those stud guys? Are you touching them or are you avoiding them? Yeah, um, I was generally avoid. So defining them as like the three guys that I think were going in the second round were Hertz, Mahomes, and uh, Josh Allen, and then you had you know Fields going in the late third. I think by the time uh, the one quarterback stuff and underdog closed. So if we're just talking, you know, zoning in on that, those three Hertz, uh, Mahomes, and Allen, I was largely avoiding those guys. I, I was taking them if a, if I took um, you know Kelsey and Mahomes fell to me. I would, I, I think I maybe have one or two of those. Same thing with Allen and Diggs. Like if it was stacked, I was okay with it because I think there are scenarios where the elite stack of Mahomes and Kelsey goes off and like, you just kind of needed to have it. And, you know, it's probably the most projectable, you know, reliable stack that's going to, you know, really differentiate you obviously with Kelsey in the T position. So I'm not going to hate on, you know, if you take those guys early stack, but Generally, I was avoiding them. I'd say, like, out of 60 teams, I think I just have one or two of each of uh, Mahomes, Hertz, and Allen. The logic essentially being that, you know, from my research, you know, the, the big quarterback spike weeks just don't happen um, as often relative to the running back and wide receivers. Like, it's just, it's just kind of a math thing where the baseline at quarterback is quite high. Like, you know, say – say you have Mahomes and he goes off for 35, like oftentimes the 
you know, the replacement level score at quarterback that week is going to be like 22 or 23. Like Geno Smith or Daniel Jones Mm -hmm. went off that week is what you're saying. Right. And you can kind of make up that gap. So you're not that much at a disadvantage if you haven't hit on those studs is, is what you're saying. Exactly. Whereas like the 35 point Jamar chase game, the replacement level there is like 10 points, right? If you compare it to the flex. So it's just kind of a math thing where it's like hard for the quarterback spike weeks to matter as much as the, you know, the skill position level spike weeks, uh, especially running back and wide receiver. So um, yeah, I, I do think if you're comparing it to tight end though, that's where it gets more interesting. Like I think, you know, last several years of drafting, like we've generally seen tight ends go ahead of quarterbacks. Um at least like, you know, the tight ends one through four generally going ahead of the quarterbacks one through four. Now, now this year, that's that's not quite true, but that's what we've seen historically. I think that actually the market has potentially been slightly, again, FFPC tight end premium, completely different ballgame. You know, that's a whole yeah. different set of numbers and math, but at least in, you know, non tight end premium stuff. Um, I think like there was a case that quarterback was maybe a little bit undervalued and t- tight end maybe a little bit overvalued. Um, well, but, you're you're hey, you're still seeing Kelsey go in those top five or six picks, yeah. like on 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 drafters. I know that for sure that, that he's going. He's one of those options in those top six picks, right? Even though it's not tight end preems. So yeah. is that maybe an avoid in the non tight end preems in your opinion? With the diet? yeah, I, I'm hesitant to say that just because I feel like Kelsey's a unicorn. Yeah, almost. that is like, true. It's al- true. it's almost like tight end over the last like 20 years there's like just a couple unicorns like it was gronk for a while you know now it's kelsey maybe even farther back it was antonio gates like i think there's one or two guys in the position that are worth that high draft capital and like kelsey if you look at the tight end position as a whole it's not going to paint a rosy picture for like how often tight end spike weeks happen but like i imagine a huge chunk of that bar is like just travis kelsey right so like Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say fade Kelsey. Um, I think that's, you know, that hasn't done so well over his entire career. But I do think that, like, maybe, you know, the the, the other guys that we try to talk ourselves into as being the elite, the elite tight ends. Hawkinson's. Um, yeah. Kittles. They, they tend to get pushed up a little too high. That, in, in non-tight end premium, I, I think potentially yes. But, man, again, it, it's... It's tricky because, you know, the the tight end when the tight end spike week does go off, it it does often provide like huge leverage. But like the numbers and math just show that like it doesn't happen as often at, at running back and wide receiver. So it's a thing that like I'm questioning because I think I did lean towards getting elite tight end in the past, and I'm a little more skeptical of it now. Particular, I think I think what I'm more skeptical of is like. Not even like the the Kittle, Hawkinson, Andrews tier, but like the next tier after that, I think is generally like where I want to be fading tight ends and just continuing to hammer wide receivers and and. Well, it's it's Dan. It's like the old: if you're not hitting the studs, you're basically waiting and you're going to hammer three or four of those bottom guys, right? Yeah, and I think the the idea is that you you know like a, a Fryermuth or uh, you know an Evan Ingram or whatever you you really can't see the path to them turning into a Kelsey. Uh, you know what you if you're going to draft a tight end early, you've got to be able to see that path that you know somehow this guy could be the next Travis Kelsey or at least you know give us a, a 2021 uh, you know Mark Andrews type season or something. You know. Give us something huge like that. And if you can't get there, 
then I think you're probably better off just cobbling it together in the weight round. Yeah, particularly when, um, and now a lot of these underdog drafts right now are 20 rounds. So mm -hmm. I think part of the benefit of elite tight end is it allows you to only take two and not waste a third roster spot on sort of a low scoring position. But the fact that we get these extra two rounds now has really made me lean into three tight ends because I don't feel like I'm sacrificing that much taking the Hunter Henry at the end, taking the Noah Fant, whoever whoever you want to throw in there. Um, I have been leaning towards, yeah. And to, the, to your Evan Ingram point, like I think I've said this before that like I want to find this year's Evan Ingram. I don't want to chase the guy that did it last year. Like he had a fine season, like a great season for where you drafted him. But at where he's being valued now, you're kind of asking him to repeat that. And, you know, now they brought in Calvin Ridley, like the target competition is stronger. Like, I think he'll still have another solid year. But, you know, I don't think you're getting huge value on where you're taking him. And you're he's got to hit his ceiling. He's got to hit, hit his, his ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. And you're sacrificing a pick in a range where, you know, Zach Charbonnet is going there. You know, Rashad Penny's going there. You want to, you know. Brandon Cooks on the wide receiver. Like you're, you're sacrificing a pick at, you know, some running back wide receiver spots where I think there's more upside for those guys to, to really smash. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a fan of the three gross tight ends late strategy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm loading up on Hunter Henry and some of these <laughs> rookie guys and it, it's, you know, it doesn't feel good, but um, you know, those guys are going to score touchdowns uh, and score some points, especially, you know, in half PPR where the receptions don't matter as much. I'm okay with just sort of chasing tight end touchdowns with some of those later guys. No, we love it. We, we love those deep, deep, deep tight ends, uh, uh, Dan. But before we keep going, I, I got to speak in a tight end and tight end premium. We got to give a, a quick word uh, to our partners. Uh, the reason that we put this thing together, our, our friends over at the FFPC, Dan and I were talking last night with Matt Kelly. Uh, we promote brands only that we believe in and that we use. And, and Dan and I met through the FFPC. I was going down to the live drafts in Vegas. Dan was just as nice as he is out there in Twitter, just answering any question I had came up to me at, at the draft and, and shook my hand. And, and since then we've, you know, been, been, uh, you know, best buds and, and I've had this awesome journey with them uh, on the goat district, but there's a reason we play on there guys. They right now, I mean, you're watching this show, you're drafting best ball. They've got best ball tournaments. The never too early. He's got about two forty or two thirty spots left. You're playing for $25,000, one twenty-five buy-in. You've got dynasty startups right now that are starting from 100 bucks. You've got the $6 million prize pool, $1 million to first in the early bird promo where you get a $35 credit uh, when you register for three of those entries into the all-new Fantasy Pros Championship. And with our promo code, if you use GOAT when you first sign up to the FFPC, you get also a $25 credit that you can use towards anything $35 and up. And then, of course, the main event also for a million. Dan and I and Theo and Andrew will be in Vegas drafting uh, the main event that we won uh, by taking down the, fo the, the pros versus Joes on the FFPC in 2022. So we want a main event entry. We're going to head down there and drive uh, draft live. Hopefully you guys can join us. MyFFPC.com, guys, that's where all the fun is. Dan, let's keep the best ball talking we didn't even ask our guests what what his hard out was so uh maybe we can uh, squeeze a couple more <laughs> i got some time but i'll yeah i just want to say that ffpc I'll, I'll be out there uh drafting a main event oh, nice. this year nice. i think that's that's my plan um i've never been out there to to draft uh one live i've done the main event the past couple of years but 
it seems like an awesome experience. So yeah, hopefully timing lines up and I'll uh, get to see you guys in person out there. But yeah, super fired yeah. up to, to fire a couple uh, bullets in the main event. So, sounds like we're, awesome awesome we're going to take Sean for, uh, or Sam, I saw Sean on the screen, Sam for, <laughs> for a beer in, in Vegas, Dan. Yep, definitely. Yeah. That's and, good to uh, it, it's just so much fun out there. I mean, it's that I started going out there in like 20, 2014, I think it was, you know, and I didn't know anybody, you know, I, I basically just sort of showed up and I was like, mm, you know, who are all these people? And, uh, <laughs> you know, at this point it's, you know, I, I have a hard time moving from uh, table to table in the, you know, the draft rooms or whatever, because I just know so many people and it's, you know, it's hard, kind of hard to get to the next draft. So, uh, you know, everybody. Dan, Dan's well, kind of a big that. deal. Dan's kind oh. of a big deal. Just saying. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the big deals, man. I'm, I'm not the big deal. I'm, I'm more the, you know, I, I want to make sure that I, I get inside the heads of, uh, you know, all these guys out there. So. <laughs> Dan's, <laughs> always, Dan's always strategizing. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. If you, I, I assume, uh, Sam, if you go out there, you'll, you'll definitely find a way to hook up with, uh, Kareen and, and that, that whole bunch out there. And they're, they're a lot of fun out there. So, uh, yeah, have a great yeah. I, sure. uh, that, that's the plan last year. I uh, had to draft a team where I did stat chasing uh, with with Connor O'Driscoll, um, really really sharp guy as well. And then Pat, uh, Pete, and Gretch, we all drafted a team together. But they were all out there live. I was furiously typing uh, in Discord <laughs> chat try, trying to get them to uh, take a running back. Uh, I wanted them to take the second running back, you know, in, in round nine instead of the the eighth wide receiver. But I didn't I didn't win that battle. So uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's how it goes with those that's guys, awesome. but obviously all, all super sharp guys and they, they know what they're doing out there. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to hopefully be there in person, uh, drafting a team with those guys. It should be a lot of fun and yeah, hopefully meet a lot of other, uh, fantasy gamers out there. Dan, Dan's still in frozen land. I, I got a, a question that's not on the show sheet that, that I'll, I don't know if your data has any, anything on this or, or if you personally have anything on this. A lot of guys, especially drafting these bigger tournaments, uh, and I and I heard you guys uh, or the guys on actually Karain and and uh, Pete were talking about this recently on on ship chasing. Like, is there a time of the year that's better to draft for these big tournaments, the ones that do last the whole year, or the let's say they're half and half? Like, do you have any data on that? Is there is there a myth there that you know guys say, oh, you wait until let's say draft weekend right before you know the season starts? What what are your thoughts on that, and what does the data say, if anything? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question, and um, I I frankly haven't done my my own research there, but um, I think yeah, if you listen to Ship Chasing uh, last night, was it last night or last week? I think it was last night. Um, I know uh, Mike Leone of Established a Run did some pretty cool work that I, I think he kind of described it as there's sort of you know t two things that kind of come into play when you're considering drafting early versus drafting late one is sort of closing line value so like you know if you take damian pierce at pick 180 in may you know before it's announced that he's gonna be the texan starter and then he jumps up to the fifth round in august you just got awesome closing line value and you're more likely to get those huge sort of closing line value wins uh if you draft early in say may or june but um, the other element is just like having live players on your roster. And I think this is, you know, way more important for best ball. I, I wouldn't be worried about this all at all in sort of 
main event or manage stuff because if a player gets injured or tears the ACL or whatever, you can just cut them and play the waiver game. It's not a big deal. But in best ball, it's actually quite a big deal if you have 18 roster spots and you drafted seven wide receivers and, hey, Tim Patrick just tore his ACL. That The EV of your team like takes a pretty good hit. Um, it doesn't even have to be injuries, right? Like, you know, trying to think of an example, but like Jalen Tolbert maybe was a guy who was hyped up in the offseason. And then it comes around to August and it's clear, like, hey, he's playing the threes and fours. Like, the team has no plans to. Don't, to use don't remind me, day. Sam. Please don't remind me. My, I got I have so much Jalen Tolbert. <laughs> it was, uh, oh, God. Could, couldn't stop there? taking him in those rookie drafts. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, going to Dallas, Gallup's it hurt. It's like so the whole good. world was just lined up. The stars, except for the Dallas star, was just not lined up for him. No, everything looked good. It was like the the analytics, you know, prospect guys were saying, oh, he's, he's a good sleeper. And then he gets, you know, the draft cap on the landing spot and he just was he just fell asleep. But yep. yeah, back to my point. So those are the, the two trade-offs. Like if you if you draft late, you're less likely to have like the dead roster spots, but you're also less likely to get the huge like closing line values. So I, I think it's like, um, you know, I think there's pros and cons to both. I don't have a decisive take on what's better like fr frankly for me like i don't worry about this so much just because drafting just sort of like a part of my routine and like i enjoy doing it so you know i do ramp up in august and probably do like i don't know 40 50 percent of my drafts in, in august particularly towards the end but like i kind of just like drafting all year just to stay abreast of the news and like you know i do it when i'm when i'm working out like i kind of have it as part of my routine just like you know, a couple times a week. So to be honest, even, even if someone's like, it's stupid to draft in May and June, like for the content, for, for my personal enjoyment, I'm, I'm probably just going to keep Sam, Sam we call it, we call that a degenerate around here and we, we yeah. love you for that. And, and, <laughs> and, and I love, I love Dan, how he said it, it's part of a routine because it, yeah. that's, that's exactly what it's like. Like if anyone is used to, I don't smoke, but like, you know, that going out for a cigarette and a coffee type of thing, you know, that kind of routine every day or whether you get up early and do your sit-ups and push-ups. It's it's true that best ball in the last few years, I think for a lot of us has become, you know, a religion or, or, or at least part of our routine. And that's a great way to describe it. Yeah. And I trick myself into like, I do it when I'm, when I'm at the gym, uh, like a, I'm biking or on the Stairmaster or even I do like body weight workouts where I, I mix in a draft while I'm doing it. So I've like tricked my brain into telling me that like it's healthy to be drafting because I'm like <laughs> I'm exercising. That's the level of degenerate that I'm at that like I've warped myself into thinking it's like some health thing for me now. So that that's where I'm that's where I'm at uh, for my mental health and drafting. But you know, whatever you have to tell yourself. There we go. I was I was gonna liken drafting to you know like the the little bar snacky stuff you know they have at uh, you know if they if they've got the little bowls of that stuff out you know <laughs> yes. you just your, your hand keeps kind of going over there all the time <laughs> yeah. that's what, that's yeah. that's what drafting is for me but I think your way of going about it might be a little bit more healthy so um, <laughs> <laughs> that's cardio drafting. cardio drafting as nineteen twelve calls it yes that's, shout that's, out to the chat you guys that's are awesome great stuff yeah so let's. Um, we kind of got off of uh, quarterbacks, uh, got into tight ends, which is great. But, it, you know, we do have a, a super flex tourney going on uh, underdog right now. So I, I'm curious, Sam, what's your strategy for those super flex tourneys if you get shut out of the elite quarterback tier? I mean, if you're in the back half of the draft, uh, you know, you're, you're not getting Patrick Mahomes for sure. Uh, how, do you, how do you handle that uh, when you're back in that back end of the draft? Yeah, it, it's tricky. And I, and I really do think that, like, it's a disadvantage. Like I, I really, whenever I 
enter one of those drafts, I'm just praying for, you know, a top, top five, you know, even top three pick. I think it's a pretty big advantage, but um, you know, I think there's ways to play it um, where, where you still have a shot. I, I generally, what I generally do um, is I'm not frequently double tapping quarterback from the back half. I'm often grabbing one running back or wide receiver that I think has the potential to be the wide receiver one or running back one at their position. So, you know, I'll take McCaffrey or Cooper Cup or Tyree Kill, one of those guys. Um, and then I'm usually taking one quarterback. Um, I think you can go to skill position players and then um, take take some quarterbacks later. But how I'm thinking about it is I think maybe compared to the average, like, you know, tout that I've heard talk about super flex, I think I am going more like heavy quarterback um, than, than most people, you know, if you sort of map out the quarterback landscape and um, I did this, you know, last, last week on ADP chasing, there's really only like 24 to 26 quarterbacks that I feel really good that if they're healthy, they're going to start weeks 15 to 17. There's just a bunch of teams like, you know, the bucks, the commanders, the Falcons, the Colts, you know, the Patriots now with the Mac Jones news, there's, there's a bunch of uncertain quarterback situations. So when you really map it out, I think, you know, there's 25-ish quarterbacks that I feel really good about starting in those playoff weeks that matter the most. And I just, I really want to prioritize getting a couple of those. And, and it's not just the certainty of them starting. It's also like the upside when they do play. Like, man, I, I guess you can take Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask in Tampa Bay, but like, what are they really going to give you down the stretch in the playoffs? And, you know, I think where, the, where they're being valued at, they're okay. But I, I just kind of like the two-by-two two of like, taking the earlier stab at quarterback and then getting the running back or wide receiver later um, versus, you know, I think like the sixth round is really where like, I think the quarterback values, like it's sort of the, the last, you know, couple quarterbacks that you feel good about starting down the stretch. Like I'd much rather, you know, take CJ Stroud and then, you know, around pick a hundred, get Tyler Lockett or sorry, pick 90, get Tyler Lockett, then do like take Mike Williams instead of CJ Stroud and then take like Brock Purdy there at quarterback. Like I just think that two by two of like locking up the quarterback, still getting a good skill position player later versus like, you know, yes, getting a better skill position player probably in Mike Williams, but then running the risk of just taking zeros at quarterback with someone like Purdy or, you know, Desmond Ritter or Baker Mayfield. Like there's still good skill position players that go in those tiers um like I, I just kind of like those two by twos better so uh yeah just, just to summarize like I, I am you know I'm not double tapping quarterback or starting quarterback 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 but in those first six rounds I'm generally walking away with it with having three three quarterbacks um in those first six rounds okay makes sense yeah and I you know I've done some of that I've done some also where I just say you know screw it I'm gonna put together the best you know running backs, wide receivers, maybe throw in the elite tight end if I can, uh, you know, and then and then just kind of go wholesale on the quarterbacks a little bit later, you know, and take some of those guys that are like, you know, who knows what these guys are going to be doing. Uh, you know, I've, I in uh, week 15, 16, 17, you know, those, those guys might end up being, you know, that team might end up being a total waste, uh, you know, but if I think if you can hit on that, you're going to have a pretty unique build. Uh, going into those last weeks if those quarterbacks that you got there happen to be firing. But I do like to get at least one guy that I can count on for sure. 
you know, like, you know, whether it's a Dak Prescott or whatever, uh, you know, but just yeah. somebody I can count on. And then with my quarterback two, three, four, you know, whatever, whatever I can get as long as I'm getting a super, super good, you know, I, I, I need to have a big advantage at uh, running back and wide receiver to be able to do that. So you know, that makes think, sense. Yeah. And I think if you, if you do get the, if you pick the right guys, like that is a really high upside um, build. Um, so I, I get that. I get that side of things completely. Yeah. And that's just, just um, don't ask me who the, who the right ones are. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you're throwing darts when you're talking about Ritter and, uh, Jacoby Brissett and all those guys. So yeah, it's tough. Yep. yep. Watch it, man. Ritter's my, my QB two right now in a tri-flex stand. <laughs> let's, let's not, and, and my QB one is Lamar. So it's a little shaky. Um, Sam, one thing we love talking about on this channel maybe a little bit more me, but uh, I think all of us like like to do uh, a little bit of stacking. Hashtag always be stacking. How much is too much stacking? If if that's even a thing, I, to me, I mean, I mean that, that's impossible, too much stacking. Do you do you attack one or two stacks or do you do you, are you trying to hit like multiple stacks through your build? What's your approach to stacking and where are the limitations that uh, drafters should be kind of paying attention to with with the strategy? Yeah, I, I I think I'm probably with you. I'm I'm like all in on stacking in in, in best ball drafts. I'm I'm prioritizing it a ton. I, I just think like nice. there's not that many ways to like um, tangibly increase your weekly ceiling um, in fantasy, and stacking is one that's like very proven. Like especially quarterback to pass catcher stacking on their own team. That's like you know that's that's how people win DFS tournaments. Like that's been proven for years, like to improve your weekly ceiling, I think, I think is a huge part of it. So, you know, where, where I get worried about overstacking is if you're, you know, in the early rounds reaching a bunch to make it happen. Um, I try to avoid that. Like as a general rule, like if you're, if you're reaching more than two rounds for ADP, you're likely just able to get that player at your next pick and it's kind of unnecessary, but like, you know, say you're at the one, two turn and you're in the seventh round and, you have to reach, you know, 12 picks and ADP to do a stack. I'm totally fine with that because at the one, two turn, like you have to wait like, you know, 22 picks between your, your you know, your next two picks. You also so have like, flatter tiers, right? So the, the difference between the players isn't as much as, as in the high rounds. Exactly. Yeah. So I am, especially mid rounds late, like getting to the late rounds, I'm fine reaching three. Like I, sometimes I look at it and it's like, Hey, you know, there's sort of three, Say I'm doing something gross. I got backed into like having to stack up like the Panthers and the Texans, and I see that like Nico Collins and you know DJ Chark and whoever else are all right next to each other. Sometimes I look three rounds ahead and say, "Hey, I might as well stack these guys up. I'll reach like three rounds on Nico Collins because at this point it's so flat, anyways." That <laughs> Dude, those two, those yeah. late stack, those late yes. stacks are like the ones you feel proudest of, you know, because everybody's just taking <laughs> random guys and you just completed like a four man stack and you're like double digit rounds, you know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you got to be conscious, like you know, of the tears and stuff, and like sometimes I feel like, hey, like you know, there's still a guy here that I think is just a you know full couple tiers above someone else, and then I won't reach to to make the stack happen, but. Um, you know, yeah, as you get later, I'm cool with reaching. And yeah, I think the only other thing to be careful of is like overly mega stacking. Um, like, I think I, I generally stop at like two to three pass catchers on a team. And I don't usually do like, you know, quarterback plus a running back unless the running back is like a, a skilled pass catcher. I don't do that 
a ton, or at least I don't go out of my way to do it. But like, I'd be a little wary if you do quarterback plus like four pass catchers, because then in a given week, that probably just means that like you have a couple dead dead roster spots. I mean, it depends on the team, right? Like if you're doing it with Mahomes, mm-hmm. it could work. If you're doing it with like Justin Fields or something, I'm a little more skeptical of, of how that all comes together. So that that's the only point at which I'm worried about overstacking. But I think I'm with you that I'm, I'm kind of just like I'm going all out on, on stacks um, in general. You, you had, uh, I think it was Pete, one of your first episodes this offseason, you guys kind of touched on, uh, and you specifically pointed out, I know because I had just drafted a, this stack, but like Jacksonville as being a team that was maybe over drafted relative to other teams and, and where they were last year. Has there, are there any more recent kind of offenses that you're, you're seeing are maybe overdrafted or, or underdrafted even uh, when we're talking about stacks or just offenses in general when you're looking at the specific teams? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, Jacksonville is certainly the one that stands out. But at the same time, it's tough, right? Like uh, Trevor Lawrence was like kind of a considered almost a generational prospect at quarterback. And now you give him Calvin Ridley, you know, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Christian um, Evan Ingram and plus ETN. Like it's kind of a fun offense. And I don't think it's like completely impossible that, um, you know, the you know christian or trevor lawrence takes the next step and you know vaults himself into sort of like the the burrow tier maybe even slightly better like i don't think that's impossible but the jags do stand out just because all those pass catchers are are valued pretty highly um yeah the other ones that there right now there uh, there's not a ton that's the, the one that's kind of weird i guess um that always stands out to me and i don't know whether it's i don't, I don't know what to think about the, the 49ers um if you look at sort of just the average of the top five 49ers by adp um it's it's really high i think it's like the fourth most expensive and you know that makes sense it lines up with their super bowl odds like futures markets are still saying they're gonna be really good but i'm just like man what are they doing at quarterback like yeah, I, i'm skeptical exactly. trail lance like uh, you you need the head we talked about voltron yeah. yesterday like you know if you're building that stack and it's one of your stronger stack especially if you're investing early in the kittle the debos the iukes you, you want the head man you want the voltron head and who's your voltron head you're just taking a stab at 50 50 right Dan? yeah i mean i think you know with san francisco you're just what you're doing is you're counting on that hey you're going to have a bunch of teams in this tournament and you're you're just going to make a bet one way yeah. uh what i like about the san francisco stacks is you can kind of wait you know and if you get like kittle at a discount uh you know then maybe you can add Ayuk to it and then come back around and then you you just you know you take your stand is it going to be trey lance or is it going to be uh you know brock purdy and you take that quarterback you know which you're able to get in there late um and not have to spend a ton of capital on and so you get that stack and then you can you know move on and get it you know a couple more stacks uh as well but it's kind of a way to you know anytime i'm getting those skill players first and then getting the quarterback later uh, yeah you know it's kind of a backdoor stack a little bit so yeah uh, it you know it works out so I, i try to leave myself open for those possibilities where i can i don't know how you feel about that sam yeah, no, I think that the San Francisco one is interesting because if you're skinny stacking it, it, it's kind of cheap just given like Lance is actually pretty cheap now. Like with mm-hmm. the, you know, ever ever since that, those series of press conferences where Shanahan and um, John Lynch were saying, hey, Purdy's the guy, Lance really got quite cheap. Um, so if you're single stacking like Kittle plus Lance or, you know, Ayuk plus Lance, that's actually like pretty affordable. I, I think my, my point on San Francisco is like, 
that's a team I'm skeptical of mega stacking because I think if, if the offense does fire on all cylinders, it's a lot of Trey Lance running and, you know, a lot of McCaffrey. So I'm probably like being a little bit more careful. I guess it's a point in general with the rushing, you know, the quarterbacks who, who you know, I, I wouldn't really throw Hurts and Allen into this category because we've shown they can be really good passers too. But the quarterbacks that are really only proven as runners – I'm more skeptical of like stacking up a bunch of their pass catchers at expensive mm-hmm. prices, but totally with you, like Lance plus Kittle or Lance plus Debo, like that's not overly prohibitive if you're sort of single stacking with those guys. And I think has a ton of weekly upside, um, you know, if, if Lance does, does hit his ceiling, cause he's just not that expensive right now. Dan, a couple of things. First of all, guys, let's, let's just put the, you know, let's just be honest here. The hairline, didn't help his value. That's in, in the picture. That's for sure. You know, it's 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 almost the equivalent of the Leone Hobbit picture, uh, <laughs> with uh, with uh, Herzig or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but uh, I, I do want to just quickly while we're on San Fran because I owe this to Dan. I, I took off on vacation. He put together some pretty sweet videos on what you guys should be doing right now, how to approach the San Fran quarterback position. My commitment. Uh, by the weekend, I'll have those those things up for you guys on the channel. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Dan cut up some some nice little pieces that I, I couldn't get out to you uh, before I went down to to Mexico. Dan, I'm looking. Um, just, I think we've covered pretty much. I mean, we could go on forever. I don't want to keep mm-hmm. Sam too long. We're at uh, what are we at right now? Buck ten. Do you have a, do you have kind of a last question you want to throw at him before we, we maybe wrap this up? Yeah, just, uh, you know, talk a little bit, Sam, about, um, you know, right now, one of the things I like about underdog is that, you know, they're, they're doing these tourneys and they're kind of, uh, they, they fill up pretty quickly, you know what I mean? So you're not, you're not talking about a long time period where you're going, oh, if I missed out on, uh, you know, Rashad Penny or whatever, when he was a free agent. I'm so far behind the field on that guy, um, you know, so there, you know, things are a little bit more compressed and also it's all happening here right now before the NFL draft. So, you know, it, everybody in the tournament's sort of in the same boat as far as like what they know, um, you know, now that free agency is for the most part wrapped up, but there's, there's always a lot of uncertainty still out there. Rookies don't have teams yet. Veterans are going to get blown up by them. How do we make that uncertainty work in our favor when we're drafting these underdogs right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like, you know, if you're trying a lot of, a lot of what we're thinking about ADP chasing um, is trying to get closing line value on players. So that's exactly the angle that I'm trying to take to it is thinking through, you know, I think the way I like to think through it is I look at a player and I say, you know, what's, what's baked into this price. Is it baked into the price that, um, you know, the team is going to draft another running back and his, you know, his price is going to plummet? Or is his price like reflecting that he's supposed to be the starter um, and he, you know, has the potential to really take a downturn if someone does get drafted there? So I guess a couple examples of that, like, you know, you're thinking about like, hey, what is actually reflected in this guy's price? Like, what is the market assuming? And then how might they be be wrong about that? Alexander Madison is one guy on sort of the, um upside side of things where i think right now the market is baking in hey dalvin cook is is the market seems to be saying dalvin cook is going to be there like alexander madison's price is like the same as it was last year he's like pick 140 ish um they're treating him as just a handcuff 
they paid that dude a lot of money guaranteed for a running back. I think he got like seven, seven? million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Cook is uh, contract. You know, the Minnesota could really free up a lot of money. Uh, they're sort of crunched uh, for money right now. So I think there's a good chance he's a cut candidate. And at that point, you know, Madison's draft uh, stock would rise to I don't know the seventh round potentially. I mean, it depends what they did in the draft after that. But I think there's a lot of upside in that price. Whereas you show me, you know, a guy like. Um, I'll maybe group these guys together, like Tyler Algier, uh, Rashad White, and Ryan Robinson. You know, Algier had an awesome rookie year, like for a fifth round, um, fifth round rookie. He was awesome. He looked like a great player. At the same time, he's a day three pick, and you know, Bijan Robinson is mocked the Falcons, you know, more frequently than I see almost every other team. So I think in his price, it's not reflected enough downside that the team you know adds Bijan, adds charbonnet adds gibbs you know adds one of these elite um you know prospects in the draft and you know at pick like 80 or 90 where he's going right now he has a lot to lose i'm not sure he has that much to gain like even if they add nobody i don't think people are that excited about the falcons offense you know maybe he rises around if they don't add anybody but i'm kind of skeptical people are that excited about him so yeah, and you know, I think you can make similar arguments about Rashad White, Brian Robinson. Like those teams could easily add someone in the draft. Like I don't think either of those guys are like talented enough running backs to like, you know, stop another running back from forcing it into a committee. And you know, they're on the Bucks and the Commanders. Like no one expects those teams to be good this year. So, yeah, that, that's what I try to think through. Is like, hey, I look at a guy's price and I say like, what is the market assuming here? Like, hey, th- this doesn't seem quite right. Like this doesn't reflect enough upside. This doesn't reflect enough downside. If, if these sorts of moves in the draft happen. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answered your question, but I think, yeah, just thinking very critically about like what happens in this scenario to this player, you know, if they draft a running back, how likely is that scenario? And then trying to map out like the ADP possibilities from there, I think is, is a really helpful exercise in thinking through some of these, uh, these running back picks. I, I love the Madison uh, talk. Just you look at you're saying like same price last year is coming off of like four significant weeks in fantasy where he gave you, you know, top 13, even three of those four weeks were top 10. Whereas last year he had one significant season. I think it was like RB4. Uh, so so you are getting a nice value discount then on on one of your Vikings at the running back position. Speaking of late RBs. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and uh, as Sam said, you know, the, the odds that Dalvin Cook are, and Madison are no longer on the same team, uh, one way or another, I think are pretty high. Uh, you know, every, every time uh, the general manager or coach are interviewed about, you know, the Dalvin Cook situation or whatever, they're very, very evasive with their answers, uh, you know, which always tells you that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of given the, well, Dalvin's on our team right now. Um, you know, we never say never about anything. So, yeah, yeah those that, are some, that, there are some new quotes today, right? I think. Yeah, I saw yeah, exactly. Across. Yeah. 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 And it was, it, it was more of that sort of, well, you know, Delvin's here right now, but who knows what the situation will be after the draft. And so, you know, I, I, I think you can take all that and read into it exactly what you're talking about. You know, that Madison is probably not valued nearly high enough because the odds are, you know, they paid him as if he is going to be, you know, like a, a featured running back. Um, you know, obviously that's not what it used to be. Not he's making about an average of three and a half million for two each of two years, um, seven million dollar total contract. Uh, used to be that if you were a feature back, you were going to get seven million a year. 
you know, now even three and a half million a year kind of says, Hey, we, we plan to feature you. Uh, That's, yeah, it's good money. I think it's third, yeah. third most this uh, off season behind just Montgomery and Sanders. Right. I, I could be wrong about that, but it, it's up there. I think it's top five in terms of guaranteed money. So yeah, totally agree. It's, le- it's legit money for running backs nowadays. Um, and yeah. And, and to the Madison point again, like thinking through the, like what the downside is too. like, even if cooks back, like, shouldn't Madison still be being drafted where he is now? Like, I, I don't see the downside of the pick. Yeah, right? Like, maybe he falls around, sure, I guess. But, like, man, he's been drafted in that range when we've known Cook's going to be there and when we've been more confident in Cook's talent and Cook's health, you know, in the past couple of years. And Madison still gets picked in that range. So now I'm just like, okay, even if Cook's back, like, I'm not losing anything on this bet. But I have the, poten- the potential to gain a ton. Um, yep. So. Yeah. And even just the fact that you have a new regime that came in last season that saw what Madison offered, you know, to this offense and were ready to re-sign him, they could have easily come in and said, you know, this this is not a guy we brought in. Let let's get some some new fresh blood. And they see the value in this offense. They see what he's able to offer when Cook is there or not there. And let's face it, Dalvin's you know a year older. We we've got the uncertainty of the offseason. So he can definitely be one of those kind of league winner guys that you get late and he's like your RB two, you know, for for the back end of the season or, or or three quarters of the season. So love that call, Sam. Love this whole discussion. I mean, Dan, I'm sure you'd agree we could go on forever, especially chopping it up best ball <laughs> with a guy like you. I mean, it's it's just the wealth of information that was brought. Hopefully everybody had their pens out. We're writing this down, uh, <laughs> take it, taking notes in their in their palms or blackberries or whatever kids are using these days but in all seriousness guys at sherman underscore ffb sam sherman adp chasing ship chasing he's one of the goats over there we appreciate his time tonight sam please remind the people one more time what you have coming up you you gave us a bit of a taste in the dms uh i read a couple awesome articles before coming out today let the people know what you have coming in the near future and what else they can expect uh from sam for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, a couple articles I've been working on um, that I hope to get out soon. Uh, it's sort of related to the the best ball myths thread that we've talked about, uh, you know, talking about positional volatility, uh, some implications of when you should target uh, running backs versus wide receivers in your drafts. Uh, so I'm working on that article, hope to get that out soon. And then, yeah, besides that, Find me at ADP Chasing. We'll be recording tomorrow. I think we'll be going live at 1 p.m. with Pat, Pat and Davis. And yeah, should be some interesting discussion. I know we love getting to the rookie stuff this offseason. I think the uh, Izzy Abanacanda hype has really uh, taken off. So that'll mm-hmm. be a big, big topic of, of discussion tomorrow. So yeah, if you're interested in that or some other ADP movement, um, we'll probably be talking Odell Beckham too on the Ravens. Um, We'll be getting to all that uh, tomorrow. But yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. This was this was a blast. Yeah, nice. absolutely. And and make sure you check out uh, check out Sam on Twitter. Um, you know, because he's got really the you know the the framework of all this research that he's done um, is really sketched out very nicely in a couple Twitter threads that he's done. So make sure you go back, check those out. They're very much worth reading. You can see the hard data that he's working off of and how he came to the conclusions that he did. So uh, that was super valuable for me. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated that because it it kind of solidified my approach to how I was going to go with these underdog tourneys. And, and uh, you know, I, I had been kind of treating them a little bit too much like full PPR. And after reading your stuff, I was like, yeah, I need to I need to change up my 
my framework a little bit here. So appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. And yeah, always happy to, um, you know, you read the tweet, the read the thread and have questions on Twitter. I'm always, uh, you know, happy to, to answer questions about the research and stuff, but yeah, appreciate that a lot. Um, Dan and I'm glad, glad it was useful and hopefully can, can be useful to, to other people. Um, I'll be yeah continuing to post more research there throughout the off season. So uh, it won't be the final word word on the, uh, running back versus wide receiver battles. I'm sure there'll be, there'll be more coming up. <laughs> you, you have yeah. that uh, like water, right? And that's one thing I like about your data. You're taking it as it comes. You're not making pre-assumptions and, and you're, you're offering some, some very valuable data. So we appreciate your time tonight, Dan, we've got a couple of things coming out in the next couple of days. We're going to bust out another, uh, the owner's lounge where Dan and I are looking at our own dynasty teams that we own on the FFPC, some high stakes leagues. And uh, we're actually going to do our own little underdog draft, uh, possibly tomorrow. So tune in for that. We appreciate you guys tuning in today. Everybody have a great night, and we'll check you all later. Go District. <laughs> Bleep a ball. Bleep a ball. Bleep a ball, bleep bleep ball, and I bleep a ball, bleep a ball, bleep a ball, cause I bleep bleep bleep, ayy. Bleeding I ball, defeated the ice, and see him at all, JD in the pies, I needed it all, I bleeded a lie, you bleeded a lie, not bleeded a lie, and that's what a goat do, facts, let me show you, happen to know, dudes draft and they don't do bad and they don't lose, make you wanna bleep bleep. It's the GOAT District, boys giving you the business And no gimmicks, the best ball drafts got me feeling like it's Christmas yeah. Then it's Christmas all of a sudden and these riches came from nothing And I got this all from loving the district See, I just drafted, forget it I laugh at the critics, they mad at the digits I clap back my listening See, ballin' ain't a problem if you kick it with them off And I refresh the feed till autumn, then I bleep, 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 go How did we not talk CJ Stroud, Adam Thielen stacks? I know. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so I was true. trying to trying to distance my personal brand from uh, from that as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I thought about segueing into that as we were talking about those late stacks. I was like, eh, I don't know if Sam doesn't want to bring it up. <laughs> Man, I got rugged on it with the now Stroud's the favorite to be taken number one overall. So I'll, I just have all these. Adam Thielen shares for no reason. So, oh man, what a, what a disaster! Dan, Dan, Dan will buy him off you. There. Dan will buy him off you for a fourth. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's I don't know.